Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is Central Texas Living with Ann Harder. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Central Texas Living, the podcast. It is a delight to be with you at this time of year because it is rightfully called the most wonderful time of year. Of course, when uh, we celebrate the traditions we love and the people we love all get together, and and it's just sort of a magical time for a lot of folks uh, in the holidays. And uh, I'm going to introduce you to uh, Dr. Barbara Russell Chesser, who has written The Gifts of Christmas, which we are going to uh, to talk about. She is an expert storyteller. And now you grew up, Barbara, in a, a storytelling tradition. I did. So some of these things are, are, are stories that you sort of grew up with, mm-hmm. tales you know, related to your grandparents even. But it was your daughter that encouraged you to write this. Yes, I was complaining that, you know, we didn't have a record of some of the wonderful stories. And I thought, I don't want to die and... and my daughter and grandchildren not know some of the things that happen. And um, just as I had told her, often quit complaining, do something about it. She <laughs> said to me, well, why don't you do it? You know, at least do what you can and what you can remember and get some of the stories in print. And I'll have to admit, this is the only book that my grandchildren have read of mine. Really? You know, well, yeah, the other books, you know. They're, well, okay, okay yes. let's talk about the other. Chicken Soup for the Golden Soul. I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, mm-hmm. the Chicken Soup series. And this one was just a blockbuster. It was. Sold over a million and, copies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are a contributor to this, along with a lot of other local people. Bob Darden from Baylor and... Uh, uh, Vicki Cabot. I mean, a lot of folks that I know mm-hmm. in, were involved in this, and um, yeah, it was it, it was then that we really get got to know each other because you asked me to do the narration of a story for the audiobook, which is the only time I've ever done that, and it was well, exciting. I'm sorry that we haven't asked you to do more. <laughs> well, I'm available. <laughs> no, it was it was it was wonderful, and of course, back when I did this, I was it says for heartwarming stories for people 60 and older. Well, I was considerably younger than that, but mm-hmm. <laughs> now, yeah, this is my, my bailiwick. Um, mm-hmm. Gifts of Christmas, though, transcends all ages. And uh, as I mentioned, you even talk about your grandparents mm-hmm. and the hardships that they encountered. But the theory or the, the theme of the stories is that they overcame. Right. And so that's... One of the reasons I wanted to write the stories that I did, that um, people can overcome incredible tragedies. And, of course, some of the stories in here were incredible. My good friend, whose husband and 12-year-old boy were killed in an airplane wreck. How do you ever get over that? Mm. But finally she did, and... uh, I I spent three years struggling with her. I thought, how can this 
be a good story. Mm-hmm. I mean, a good story, you want it to end where people feel glad they read the story. Correct. And I just couldn't make anything out of it until um, Holly, her daughter, married and had a little boy. And I saw my friend at the airport, and she had just returned from uh, helping with the newborn baby. And she said, Holly named her baby after Wade, and Wade was the mm-hmm. 12-year-old who was killed. And she, and she said to me, and when he gets old enough, he's going to wear a cap like Wade did. And, of course, the story, you have to read it to mm-hmm. capture all the um, importance of the cap because Nelda just hung to that cap. That was the only thing that was um, in not in, you know, pieces from the crash site. Mm-hmm. It that, survived that, the crash. It survived, yeah. which is incredible. Yeah. A miracle in it. itself when yeah. everything else was just... It's uh, finding the miracles in the things that happen, mm-hmm. I, I think is one of the themes. I have to say, and I told you this when you first arrived, is that I, I read this kind of in one setting. Uh, it almost, because the story, and I love short stories mm-hmm. for that reason, mm-hmm. but but you could almost do it like a devotional through the Christmas holidays and, and read a story a day, you know, in a quiet time. But I started reading and was in tears. I mean, I, I was moved to tears several times and then laughing out loud <laughs> at other times. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's just me this time of year. I don't, you know, but it was so neat to just sit and be quiet and read your stories and mm-hmm. uh, with a cup of coffee and kind of process um, what you went through and mm-hmm. uh, really poignant things. Um, but with the realization, so many people suffer so badly during the holidays. And people don't admit that. Nobody comes out and, and says that because they think everybody else is having such a great time. And uh, that's one of the reasons I wanted to write the book, too, to show that everybody has some losses or tragedies or um, just tremendous hurts. And it seems like they come to... Um, like a magnifying glass or something in Christmas because that's yeah. the time you're supposed to be so happy. Happy. Mm-hmm. And you are remembering the hurts and so forth. Mm-hmm. So just like uh, my mother and grandmother both lost their husbands in the fall of the year. My grandmother's uh, husband died in the great flu epidemic of 1918 in um, October, the late October. First Christmas was just and a blur. Small children. Yes, yes, three daughters, and my mother was the youngest. She was 11 months old at that time. Oh, my goodness. And then my father was killed in November, and my mother was 24 at the time. Well, she wasn't. She was 23, but he was then buried on her 24th birthday. Oh, my goodness. Which I, don't, I never understood that, why they couldn't have, you know, Buried in the day before, the day after. It was nineteen forty-one. Yeah, war, so, yeah, war years. Mm-hmm. And so, and then my mother remarried and had another family. I was in the fourth grade when she remarried, and they had three daughters. The youngest daughter, Janet, was married, had a little baby. They had taken the baby out for mother to babysit on this Labor Day weekend. Driving back into town, a drunk driver ran a light, well, it wasn't a live stop sign, on the highway. Well, of course, Janet and Robert were going to, you know, probably 60, 65. They were on the highway, and it killed Janet instantly. 
Well, of course, that first Christmas was just horrific. This, yes, yeah. it, it was, and yeah, so the loss. Um, and of course, thank goodness, most people don't have those kinds of losses, mm-hmm. but they have other hurts that seem to bear on their inability to enjoy Christmas as much as they could or would like to. Um, and you were very close to your brothers. Too. Uh, and, yeah. you know, and I and you were very transparent and talking about um, how their passing affected you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a very real the grief that you go through when when a loved one dies is something that has to be processed. Well, and particularly if you're close and my brothers and I were good friends, mm-hmm. you know, we we were we as youngsters, you know, clung together. And then as adults, we um grew even closer, even though uh, one of my brothers was in the Navy and was all stationed all around the world. When he would come back to New Mexico, um, we spent a lot of time together. Yes, so when he died in July and I was leaning hard on my other brother, he got pneumonia. He he was a horseman and they'd gone to the, um, I don't have the jargon even talk what they'd gone to, to show the uh, cutting horses perform, which mm-hmm. I, I've always felt guilty because I told him that is the most boring thing I have ever <laughs> watched. He says, because you don't understand. You don't understand. You've never ridden, uh, that's right. ever ridden a cutting horse. <laughs> then, but at any rate, he died between Christmas and New Year's. Mm, and so, right again at the holidays. Yeah. And, you know. and, uh, well, if we keep well, talking about this, I'm going to cry. Well, <laughs> I know. No, I just, I, you know, and and yet tears can be cathartic too i mean it can be it can be good i mean i I felt bad because again i was laughing out loud at things in your book the gifts of christmas uh you're you're it's a treasure of true stories i mean these are not made up people um but you also at the back um it's like a a reference book too which i love well because you've got wonderful quotes and Mm -hmm. Familiar stories that people, even the Christmas story from the scripture is in there. So, Well, p- me, different people have said that there's enough in the book that you'll find something you like. <laughs> and I see how you like better than some of the others. But uh, I think a book like this needs some comic relief. I mean, life is a balance of yeah. funny things and some things that are not so funny. Like several people said my story about the ugliest but most beautiful green bike ever. Yes, that was a great uh, but, story. Uh, well, it was, I thank you. I felt it was great because it really did show a mother's love and, well, the mother's love of two mothers working together so their kids could have something for Christmas. And I said, I didn't mean for that to be funny. That was a serious story to yeah, me. But, uh-huh. but looking back, um, I can see why people would say, yeah, that's, that's funny. Sam Turner, my um, friend who is well he was the one that wrote a email not knowing that my brother had died and they'd been good friends he said you know i didn't realize we lived in such a rough neighborhood but he said you described it really perfectly but i wanted that green bike it was so ugly i knew that nobody would steal it which (laughs) that had happened in our neighborhood the pretty bikes were that's they grew legs and and it was true nobody stole it 
Yeah. And all the boys would never have ridden it because it was a girl's bike. They, oh, my goodness. Know. Yeah, double whammy there. Yeah, so. <laughs> An ugly girl's bike. But it got him where he wanted to go. That's that's right. So. <laughs> well, practicality there for sure. I, I think one of the most charming stories um, is My Perfect Christmas. I mean, this yeah. could be a situation comedy because, mm-hmm. and this these were people that you were deciding on the perfect gift for. Family members, even extended family, your pastor. That's why it, as well as about five other stories, are repeats from prior a prior Christmas book. Mm-hmm. And that was about a book published about 10, 10 years ago. I don't know. My age, the years just go by so fast. Um, as somebody told me one time, I have a Ph.D. in psychology, and I said I learned a very serious thing in in those courses that life is like a roll of toilet paper when you get to the end it rolls faster and faster so and and that's true, that's true. so now we were talking about something oh, my, well my perfect christmas uh, oh. in that you, you had thought out so carefully the perfect gift yes. to mm-hmm. send to individuals mm-hmm. a variety of individuals different ages mm-hmm. again one was a pastor <laughs> and yeah. And somehow the labels got all mixed up and everybody got different things with little notes. <laughs> and some included. really bad. <laughs> yeah, it, but it, it was it was uh, it was so funny. And yet it was kind of perfect. It was perfect mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. those individuals. And of course, I think the object lesson here, it, that's, that sounds so boring, doesn't it? The takeaway from this is that Christmases don't have to be perfect. To be meaningful. Right. You know, so many people do want everything to be just perfect. The meal, the Christmas morning, the perfect gifts. And when you strive to have everything so perfect, it's not going to happen. And so why set yourself up for failure? And and And, disappointment mm -hmm. and, yeah, feeling like, well, (laughs) you know, what's the point? And I I think women probably tend to feel that way more so. Yes. I, I think... I just think we have more pressure at the holidays. Yes, we want to orchestrate everything mm-hmm. so everybody's happy. They get what they want, right? Whether it's the, the food items or the gift or whatever, and uh, it's just not life. So, <laughs> no, it's it's not real real life. Another um, story from it that moved me to tears as well was about Dave and Bethany. Let's talk about them. Because, I mean, he apparently had had a very rough childhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He and his wife, not really in a good place, but she didn't really understand him no. as much as maybe she thought she did. Yes, and she felt neglected and useless, sort of, because he was spending all of his time working. And I think that's fairly typical of a lot of marriages, mm-hmm. particularly early on. And that's why I told my husband, I was glad we both were engulfed in our work when we first got married. We were in graduate school the first seven years, so we both felt left out. <laughs> we, we had to to get through graduate school. But, uh, yes, his childhood was kind of a, a conglomerate of the lives or childhood of several characters mm-hmm. in my my family and that he was 
given to different families to take care of. I think the most poignant one was when he overheard the grandparents talking about somebody was coming to bring a calf and pick up uh, Dave, and he thought he was being traded for a calf and that he would not get to live with his um, grandparents anymore. Yeah. I, I just, um, and that was a true um, incident in his life. But the ending of it, you cry because you feel so good that yeah. he did have a hand to hold and that she had understood finally. And um, and, yeah. and filled that void. Yes. Uh, she suddenly saw him as that little vulnerable boy. Yes. That had been thought thought that he was being traded that a, that a calf was of more value than he was, and I think that story is kind of representative of life, like a lot of the stories, that uh, everybody has unmet needs, and they do have un, uh, unrealistic expectations, particularly at Christmas, mm-hmm. that they're going to be loved and accepted and have a place and. Uh, Again, you just uh, can't expect that kind of perfection, uh, even though you strive for it somewhat. But if everybody would just accept the humanity of their family members and love everybody as they are, uh, it would all be a lot happier. That is definitely a takeaway from your book as well, from the stories there. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, though, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the inspiring things that I saw in your book, The Gifts of Christmas, and um, also hear a little bit more about your life. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Caroline, and this is Bloody Happy Hour, your newest true crime comedy podcast. So grab your favorite drink and join us every week for Thirsty Thursday. We promise to tell you the bloodiest stories and give you a laugh in between. Go find us, follow us, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. because guess what? We about to be sipping on some murder. This is Mandy and the F-Bomb, where we shed light on stories and invite you to find your place and purpose in the world of foster care. Through my involvement with families involved in foster care and being a foster mom myself, I've learned that it's the things that wreck us the most profoundly that can stitch us back together into the best purpose-filled versions of ourselves. Tune in to Mandy and the F-Bomb. It's stories that invite you in to find your place and purpose in the world of foster care. You can find us anywhere you get podcasts or at roguemedianetwork.com. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And we're back with the delightful Dr. Barbara Russell Chesser, who has written The Gifts of Christmas, A Treasury of True Stories. And I loved the story about, and this happened to you with your little girl when Christy was little, and um, and a guy in a truck. Because <laughs> as I live and breathe, this week, I heard a story from a gentleman who had been in a horrific car crash. Mm-hmm. He told the story of a guy in a truck they never could find him. They had no recollection of it. And it was probably the same guy in the same truck, I'm thinking. 
I don't know. Angels can do that. I, <laughs> I guess, guess they but, can, but I mean, it's the second story this week that I've seen about, was it yeah. like a vintage kind of a truck? Because he was saying it was like a vintage truck, and he sat in it with this guy. Well, that was 19... Um, my daughter is 51, and she was like in the third, fourth grade then, so everything was vintage. Oh, yes, then. right. It was probably me, new back then. <laughs> me, too. It was closer to being new back yes. then. Yes. I didn't pay that much attention to the truck as much that he drove up from the other direction and came directly to us. There were other people flailing around, too. Right. And I think people who've never lived or, or been in situations where the roads the road conditions can be so treacherous, cannot comprehend the fear and and the um, Well, and that was what happened to this gentleman, and this was a few years ago, started started spinning, hit trees and the whole bit. Mm, just the, mm, There was not much left of the car, and mm, he said the fact that he lived was incredible. Well, I had the fear that if we got to the top of the um hill Mm -hmm. cars coming the other way right but others other cars were coming up on our left and that could have happened to them so emotions were pretty high then yeah and and, uh, my husband who's an accountant taught I don't know 100 years at Baylor (laughs) one of the students said that and I said well if I'd been in accounting class it would have been (laughs) I would uh, still be there trying to get out of it I've I've used that line several times (laughs) um, at any rate he uh he said that it was true. And I said, if my husband says it's true, it's true. It because, happened. Because yeah. he drove up and he saw it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I wish I'd kept better records about my calling, who it was at that at the state agency that tried to look up this license plate mm-hmm. number. And But I did have a friend who's and he's still alive, 90 years old, and Nebraska, that he was telling some of his friends about this, and he said that that was true. He said, uh, Dale told it to me, and, and he, Bob, called the agency, and he's checking it out. He's, I mean, not checking me out. He, he believed me, but he said, surely you can find that license plate, and they couldn't. Yeah. And so, and, and our daughter was just... Uh, a gas she but she did say don't tell anybody they'll think we're weird <laughs> i said we're alive and that's not right. hurt and because i did have a friend who had had a wreck on the ice and she was um committed to a wheelchair the rest of right. her life so right. and that had happened about three years before this had happened so yeah there there have been so many i'm fascinated with stories of angels though mm-hmm. i mean you feel like this person in this pickup was an angel the story i heard earlier mm-hmm. they had taken statements from everybody he sat right after the wreck they pulled him out of the wreckage sat mm-hmm. him in this guy's truck mm-hmm. and he asked he said did you see what happened and he just kind of looked at him he always thought it was a little rude why did he not respond mm-hmm. but everyone got you know statements taken they got information mm-hmm. and a few days later, after he got out of the hospital he said you know i bled all over that guy's truck i really need to offer to pay to have it cleaned or whatever mm-hmm. nobody even that they had talked to remembered a pickup truck there or a guy <laughs> so he, yeah i'm saying it's the same guy well, he was the good guy in the whole thing. Yeah. Because I, I really felt disappointed that here I was fairly young and I had a young child sure. with me. But 
everybody was just trying to take care of their own families. Right. But I had in an icy situation, and yeah, everybody is kind but, of panicking. But usually, the code of the road, people help people oh, over. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that hadn't happened. There were so many cars. It was people coming home from work. Mm-hmm. You know, so there were more cars than usual. Yeah. And well, that's when I decided, yes, Dell, I'll come to Texas with you, so we don't have any more. <laughs> situations like this. Right. Well, let's talk about it. You grew up in New Mexico, went Mm -hmm. to a college in California, got your PhD Mm -hmm. at Texas Women's Mm -hmm. University in Denton. So you were in Texas. You lived in Texas for a while and then worked at the University of Arkansas, University of Nebraska, University of Nevada. I mean, Mm -hmm. so, so you, you know, your background is kind of in academia, Yes, we were academic nomads for a <laughs> long time. Yeah. And um, so how did you meet Del? Well, I had gone to California to Orange, which is part of um, Los Angeles, because a professor at Eastern New Mexico had gotten me a, a scholarship, internship, I think it was called, at Mills College in Oakland. And I'd gone there, finished my master's degree. I went back to New Mexico and to teach for the spring in high school, my one semester of teaching public schools, and I got an offer to go to Chapman for the summer to teach because uh, the vice president of academic affairs there was a brother to the academic affairs of Mills College. Mm-hmm. And so she told him about me and that I would be a good person for a position because it was hard to get people just for the summer. Well, I was glad to have a job because I didn't, I didn't want to continue teaching where I was teaching. And in the meantime, that professor and her husband had moved to La Jolla and retired. So she called and asked me to come down for the weekend, which I was glad to do that. They lived in, you know, there where you could see the ocean, and oh, it was just a um, yeah. wonderful setting. And uh, I'd been there about 30 seconds, and she said, um, you know, you're 24. Do you plan on getting married? And I said, well, I hadn't thought about it. I'm pouring myself into my career. But she said, if and when, what what are you looking for in a man? I said, well, I'm going to be intelligent, good looking, and, and have money. Yeah, sure, you <laughs> of <know>. course. <laughs> and she said, well, um, Dick, my husband, has a nephew, uh, but he doesn't meet all three of those. He's just coming back from... Uh, Vietnam, he was stationed at El Toro Marine Corps Base uh, nearby where I lived. And I said, well, I could forego one of those three. We had a blind date. Neither one of us were really too keen on this, you know, blind dates. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We'd rather do our own choosing. Mm-hmm. But we really liked each other. <laughs> blind date in July. And I, at the time, I, in the fall, I had accepted a job, and I was there just in Los Angeles for the summer, but um, at the University of Nevada in Reno, and there's another interesting story about that. I don't want people to think that I went there because of the gambling, et cetera. <laughs> but at any rate, he uh, asked me to marry him in October. We got married in December, and we'll celebrate 57 years this uh, December. Congratulations. Then. Thank you. Thank you. And so his work brought you to Baylor. 
Yes, and I came to Baylor too, but they mm-hmm, had no right. teaching position. You were in so, administration, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, for four years, and then one of the big donors kept trying to get me to work for him. And after a while, I thought, yeah. At the time, I thought I've taught all my life. I was forty-one, and uh, that seemed like an exciting opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be because at the University of Nebraska, I had worked in Africa and the Philippines with world hunger and women in development. Mm -hmm. And so he knew that I had some understanding of other cultures and all. So um, that seemed like an appropriate fit, and it was. So I got to travel to, you know, the world conventions and other countries. And then, of course, people from those countries were brought here. And so I I knew... um, Let's see. He said I spoke to, I spoke eleven languages. Yes, I could say hello. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Well, sometimes that's all. Yeah, that's all you need. Uh, you have, uh, of course, your background and training in psychology. You know, to help you, you must understand human nature. Maybe well, on a different I, level. I think the more I know about it, the less I think I do understand. <laughs> but I, I have enjoyed the study of it and. Uh, and, of course, professors, you know, live by the publisher parish, and so I had to write um, about research studies. And one of the books that I wrote came out of people who had accidentally killed somebody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, that came about because Julie Sonderegger, one of my favorite students, uh, and, of course, my daughter said, Mother, you didn't say that before she was killed. I said, no, I would have said it even then. But at any rate, Julie uh, left my class on Thursday, and then uh, one of the people in the class called me Friday and said, have you heard about Julie? Of course, I hadn't. She, she on her bike, ran a stop sign near downtown campus, the University of Nevada, Nebraska, and uh, a concrete truck um, hit her. Well, of course, everybody was so sad about Julie, 19-year-old Julie, but I kept thinking, what about that poor concrete truck driver? Mm. And it was getting to be about April, and I didn't have a summer project to work on, which everybody really liked to get those because you got paid uh, research stopping as well as got research that you could publish. And so that summer, after sending out interview questionnaires and so forth, I interviewed 121 people who considered themselves accidental killers, including that truck driver. Oh, my goodness. And my husband said, I will kill you if you ever do any gut-wrenching research like that. Again, our dining room table was... Oh, it had to have been Uh, traumatic for you. Well, it it was, and yet I thought it met such a need. Yeah. And that book itself is still used in Nebraska and and several of the... And the name uh, of it? uh, Fatal Moments. The tragedy of the accidental killer. Mm. Uh, yes, that um, gave me a lot of understanding about the psychology of of um, killing someone, and I have several personal reasons that I, besides Julie, my father was killed in a an accident in which um, farmer rancher had let his twelve year old son drive home. A, um, I don't know what it piece of equipment it was, but it was November, it was nine o'clock at night, no moon, and no reflection lights uh, back in 1941. That yeah, just they didn't think about that. The yeah. equipment, 
And my father lived um, till that evening, but he said, I did not see him coming. And what had happened, the little boy just, he was going too fast and couldn't hold the the uh, rig on the road uh, on his side and came over in my father's lane and they hit. Mm. And uh, I often wonder, how, how would you feel if you felt responsible for killing somebody? And so when this research opportunity yeah. came up, uh, and then there were several other things that had happened in my life that made me want to understand that a little bit better. And that, that is a real tragedy when people do take somebody's life inadvertently. Yeah. And, uh, so. yeah, it's with them their their whole life as yes, well. Yes. Their mm-hmm. whole life as well. Well, your stories in The Gifts of Christmas, um, a blessing to me. I mean, it, it was. Yeah. They're, they're so uh, touching and, and yet encouraging because... Um, even though out of tragedy, there can be something good and something that we need to learn uh, as well. I like to end these with a little questionnaire. We're getting close to the end of our time together. It's uh, similar to the one that the late, great James Lipton would use inside the actor's studio. And uh, here we go. You probably are studying about this list of questions. What is your favorite word? Joy. Really? Now, I don't know where that came from, but I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, life, uh, we need joy. Uh-huh. We need to create joy. Yeah, yeah, well, you do that. What is your least favorite word? Dieting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you on that. Okay, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Each one of those, I could go in the direction. I think just the consideration of how good God is. Mm -hmm. What turns you off then creatively or spiritually or emotionally? Oh, people who are fake. Yeah. Yeah. What sound do you love the most? Oh, the sound of... A grandchild calling me on the phone or other loved one. What do they call you? BG. You're BG. My grandson, who is a sophomore at Baylor now, was trying, I think we all thought this, to call me Barbara Joe because my middle name is Joe. Mm-hmm. And my um, son-in-law liked to kind of um, irritate me by calling me Barbara Joe. Well, Jackson was <laughs> learning to talk, and he oh. would hear Michael say that, and I think he was trying to say Barbara Joe. Well, that's a mouthful for anyone, or particularly a, little a one. child yeah. learning to talk. And so now the whole family calls me BG. BG, I love it. I love it. I, I, do too. I was I was told that, you know, deciding on your own name is, no, you, you go by the name that child gives you. <laughs> Well, I, I wasn't as wise as you. I had done a lot of research. I had my name picked out. And <laughs> that, so. There you go. <laughs> well, at least it's not like stinky or something, yeah, <laughs> something really off. Um, what is your least favorite sound? Ooh. 
I really can't think of one word, the least uh, maybe the sound of your asking me a question that I, <laughs> that I can't answer. Well, that's an answer. What other profession would you have liked to have tried? When I was in the sixth grade, I was really pulled between thinking I want to be a teacher or a missionary. Well, at that time, there was not much said about being a missionary. But I did find out when I went to Africa, I thought, oh, finally, I've got my opportunity. I'll mm -hmm. be a missionary. Well, it was just the opposite. The people there were so genuine and so happy with what they did have and with relationships that they, in turn, were really missionaries to me. Yeah, they taught so you. So it's probably good that I just stuck to academia. <laughs> <laughs> well, what profession do you know you would not want to do? I would never want to be an accountant. <laughs> a lot easier just to marry one. Marry <laughs> yes. a man sister. Yes, <laughs> that's, yes. what I, that's what I did. All right. Finally, Barbara, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well, probably you made it after all. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And Terry's saving a place for you. Oh, yes, that. For sure. Yeah, and you have to read the book to know what I'm talking about. The Gifts of Christmas by Barbara Russell Chesser. This is available where? How can folks get this book? Um, Barnes & Noble can order it for mm -hmm. you, but you get it faster if you order it from Amazon. And, of course, Trilogy Publishing, they have a website, but um, I'm stuck on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. it's it the fast. quickest way to do it. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. You've been a delight well, you've been a delight. In fact, you you probably would never admit this on air, but I said the only reason I'm doing this is because you're a good interviewer. I'm a lot more comfortable sitting at my laptop than <laughs> sitting here. Well, I'm glad you took the time because you you just have you have great stories. I just want folks to know about. Thank you very much, Ann. Central Texas Living is part of the Rogue Media Network family. Be sure to check out their other shows at RogueMediaNetwork.com. Please rate us five stars on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Living, the podcast. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. 